Hello, Kieran here. Unfortunately, we're in a position where we have to talk about Chris Benoit again. We do only talk about the match, but we totally get it if that's not for you and you want to give this one a miss. This is his final appearance on the show, and at time of recording, we have 65 other episodes where he doesn't get a mention, so feel free to put one of those on instead. Whether you continue with this episode or not, we thank you for your support and hope you have a great day. Here's the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 67 of Must See Matches, the essentials of pro wrestling as nominated by you. I am Kieran Lefort and joining me as always, the man behind Must See Matches, Mark Buckley. Mark, how are you this week? I'm good, thanks. Well, I'm much better than I was this morning where I came with a little bit close to passing out. Uh, does this require an explanation or is it just okay that you're all right now? Turns out when you when you don't weigh a lot, taking blood out of a person can uh, lead to lightheadedness. Fine. Fine. Eat more lard. I need to eat less lard. Um, yeah, I, at a time in my life when I have gained weight and need to go to the dentist, for my birthday, my mother sent me four boxes of Belgian chocolates. I mean, the force is there. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie and say I haven't eaten any of them. But um, anyway, um, we really should talk about the match we don't want to talk about <laughs> this is our second and final chris benoit match it is kurt angle versus chris benoit from royal rumble 2003 19th 19th of january 2003 for the wwe title uh so let's get this out of the way um this is our last benoit match um how do we have any more kurt angle left to go no this is our last kurt angle match as well <laughs> the 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 weirder parallel is both of them had the same number of matches nominated. Oh, bizarre. 20 each, which is like, that. that's just weird. Hmm. Um, so this is our second of four matches from the Royal Rumble that we'll be covering. Mm-hmm. Not the same Royal Rumble, of course. No, um, that would be a hell of a card if like four matches managed to get in the top 104. And I was just looking and I, this is our 19th episode on WWF matches. Mm-hmm. And it kind of brings home how many WWF matches we've had. And also... Are you including NXT under that umbrella? Uh, I don't know if I am. Give me a quick second. <laughs> I just ruined this. I don't know. That does not include NXT. Hmm. Interesting. And there are another uh, eight left. I was just counting that myself. Um, yeah. Plus a couple of NXTs. So it dominates... But it doesn't dominate as much as you thought it yeah, might. I, when you said, oh, we've done, you know, we've done, what did you say? We've done 19. Yeah. Not including NXT. And I was thinking 19 out of 67 is, you know, a, a fair percentage. But I was, I was also thinking, oh, they're going to bunch up towards the top because, you know, that's the, I mean, for our entire lifetimes, that has been the prevailing wrestling promotion. Yeah. But it really isn't. I mean, the top five, WWF, New Japan, WCW, All Japan, WWF. There's only three WWF in the top ten. Yeah. We are we are saying WWF because we're we're old people. Um we do mean WWE and then after the name change as well. Don't don't panic, young people. I mean the majority of the matches 
in fact, the matches in the top five are WWF, not WWE. Yeah, I was just looking. It's two WWF and one WWE. I it? have never been this pedantic over that company in my life. More than this <laughs> uh, you got anything else to fill time before we get into it? No. Shall no, we crack damn. on? No. All right. So <clears throat> it is January the 19th. Uh, 2003 um we are still in what was known as the smackdown six era so in the months following the first brand split which i believe was either the day or the week after wrestlemania 18 um paul Heyman has the book on smackdown allegedly smackdown was close to cancellation really That's how Heyman tells it anyway yes ah. raw was was the focus uh, uh, Raw Vince decided he was gonna he was gonna pull Jericho off, who was the, kind of like the biggest star on SmackDown, um, to to Raw, and asked Heyman, "What do you want in return?" Uh, and he said, "I would like Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit," and was laughed at. I mean, I could get that, but yeah, they weren't seen as anything. So the six were uh, Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, Edge, Rey Mysterio, and Eddie and Chavo Guerrero Jr. I mean, what? I mean, one of those six is much lesser than the other five. I was like, so off the top of my head, I wrote down the five, and then I was like, I think the six was Chavo, but that doesn't sound right. Oh, I'll have a look. No, the six was Chavo Guerrero Jr. (laughs) Um, And they were split up into those tag teams: Angle and Benoit, Edge and Mysterio, and the Guerreros. I I guess when you're working with five guys of that caliber, it puts an extra Pepe in your step. Jesus, I'm shutting this show down right now. Fucking hell. <laughs> That's my one and only. <laughs> that was Billy Gunn. Uh, so um, of these, Angle was the only one who had been a world champion in WWE. The others were seen as like good hands, mm. but they were, they you know, they weren't good promos. They weren't featured in any way. They weren't seen as particularly... You know, the likes of, of Benoit, of course, wasn't seen as particularly charismatic. Eddie Guerrero wasn't yet Latino Heat, so hadn't, like, found that within himself. If you've ever seen him in WCW, his promos are horrible. Rey Mysterio can't talk. He's just a short guy in a mask. How could you ever market him, you know? Um, so Heyman got hold of them and set about elevating them. Um, and they basically feuded over every title on the brand, including the newly created SmackDown exclusive WWE tag titles. It helped. They also had a supporting cast, the likes of Billy Kidman, Brock Lesnar, the very entertaining pairing of Jamie Noble and Nidia, who are feuding with Tajiri, Uh, Matt Hardy version one with his protege Shannon Moore, uh, Crash Holly, Team Angle of Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas, Rikishi, Little Guido, and fresh out of the package, John Cena. Still got that new car smell on him. At the time, this is the show I would watch every week. So Raw was the messy sports entertainment show with Triple H's reign of terror just getting underway. And SmackDown was the wrestling show. And in a time when this wasn't common, you'd usually get a three-star-plus match each week. And it was usually a tag match pitting four of the six against each other. So for the match itself, honestly, for pay-per-views, I usually go back and watch four weeks of TV. I could not be asked for this because it's a Chris Benoit match and he can burn. So we are reading directly from Wikipedia, which says, the main feud heading into the event was the SmackDown, from the SmackDown brand, excuse me, was between Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit over the WWE Championship. I read this earlier and it's so fucking confusing. I'm just going to read it word for word. 
At Armageddon, Angle had defeated Big Show after interference from Brock Lesnar to win his third WWE Championship. Prior to Armageddon, Angle had promised Lesnar that he would get his suspension lifted if he aided Angle in defeating Big Show. Angle had also promised to give Lesnar the first shot after winning the championship. Why can't they just say title for fuck's sake? However, despite helping Angle win the title, oh, there they go, uh, Lesnar was not given his shot as promised. On the December 19th episode of SmackDown, Angle announced that he had hired Paul Heyman as his manager and the two had conspired to get Lesnar reinstated just prior to Armageddon, which seems really stupid, by the way. Mm. Brock Lesnar is big and scary. You don't want to reinstate him to anything. Uh, only to reinforce the stipulation that Heyman had written into Lesnar's contract that he would not receive a title shot if he had lost to Heyman's other client, Big Show, at Survivor Series. Are you following this? So, so wait, Angle's won the title off Big Show, and yes. then Big Show and Angle are their clients of the same manager? Yes. And Brock Lesnar was suspended, but they have brought him back. And that, but there is a clause in his contract that if he loses to Big Show, he can't have a title shot. As you do, yes. Instead, Angle signed to defend against Big Show, who was irate about being used by Heyman and Angle, but went along due to promises made to him by Heyman. Later that night, Angle lost to Benoit in a non-title match by disqualification when Big Show interfered in the match and attacked Benoit. However, Lesnar rescued Benoit from the post-match assault by Angle and Big Show and brutally assaulted Angle. Sorry, I was trying to read, trying to work out where I was reading two lines at once, injuring him. On the December 26th episode of SmackDown, as a result of Angle's injury, the SmackDown general manager, Stephanie McMahon, cancelled Angle's scheduled match against Big Show and decided the Big Show would wrestle Benoit to determine the number one contender for the WWE Championship at the Royal Rumble. Benoit won the match. This is an awful lot of Big Show matches. Yes. Even 2002 Big Show, this is an awful lot of Big Show <laughs> it's, it's way too many. So, if you understood all that, you're up to speed. We are in Boston, and the crane camera lens is soaked for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I, I was looking at it. Was this an outdoor show? No. Because it, it it clearly it looks like a car windscreen after it's yeah. been hissing down for half an hour. Yeah, it's like a car windscreen while you're still in the car wash. Um the theme seemed to be rain. So if you looked at the video screen, it had like droplet ripples in the graphic. Mm. And I guess they had a waterfall somewhere for some reason. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's what Vince thinks of Boston. It's always raining in January. I don't know. I've never been to Boston. I mean, I've been to a play with an indoor waterfall before. It's a, mm. it's a nice effect. I say play. It was a Kabuki uh, show production of Naruto of all things. <laughs> Which is one of those, well, that's happening. I'm near it. I'm going. Fair. Why wouldn't you? Speaking of happening, this match. Yes, it happens. Uh, so Angle has Team Angle with him. Uh, this is a relatively new formation, I think. I think they've only, I think Haas, Benjamin and Angle have only come together within the last three or four weeks. Michael Cole pisses me off the moment he opens his mouth. His pitch and intensity are way too high for the start of a match. He is calling the local dogs. He is quite strange in this because I am so used to the years of insufferable Michael Cole that Michael Cole pro babyface is just weird. <laughs> there are points where he very clearly has Jim Ross in his ear. He is just a Jim Ross mouthpiece at certain points, I think, in this match. Also, one thing that I didn't realise. So this is, of course, Royal Rumble. Chris Benoit mm -hmm. is here. He would win the Royal Rumble in 2004 and next year. Mm -hmm. That was his first Royal Rumble because he wasn't in the 2001 Rumble. 
He wasn't in the 2002. I believe he was injured and he wasn't in this one either. Mm. He was often slotted into that good undercard singles match on the Rumble. So Huss and Benjamin are immediately ejected for putting their hands on Benoit as he gets into the ring. I did like how Benoit tries to walk straight through them like they're not there. Mm. It's just, I mean, Benoit's, his character really is intense. That's yeah. it. He just does everything too hard, basically. Yes. Yeah. Like he, 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 has, he moves in one direction straight forward. Yeah. So Benoit is up in the early exchanges as Cole talks about Angle possibly faking a knee injury, to which Taz replies, yeah, he's working his knee. Uh, Angle won't let Benoit get a sharpshooter no matter how many times he tries and hucks him into the, uh, hucks him shoulder first into the post. And I thought this psychology was a bit weird seeing as Benoit's move is the cross face that targets mm. the shoulder and he's working on the legs. And Angle has the ankle lock which targets the legs but he's working on the shoulder. I mean, neither of those really go anywhere. It's just trying something. No, it's just, it's, it's just uh, opening stuff, isn't it? Now, bear in mind, I haven't seen... I've seen very little Benoit stuff pretty much since things yeah. happened. Hmm. I have forgotten how Rick Rudesque Benoit's physique is in that the upper body is... It's an upper body business, kid. Frankly ridiculous, and the yeah. legs are tiny. It's just so... Oh, not off-putting, it's just she, I notice it, and I don't usually notice these imbalances much. There was a shot where you can uh, quite clearly see the underside of one of his forearms, and he has got veins that look like a lightning fork in them. They are huge. Yeah, the the, the size of his veins were yeah. something. Incredible. I totally forgot to ask you, actually, were you watching this at this time? What What was your wrestling consumption in 2002? Just, uh, well, I guess it would be like end of 2002 because this is only January 2003. I would have watched some and mm. I would have watched bits, but I, I've said before, I've never been a regular watches TV wrestling every yeah. week guy, even back then. So I would have watched bits and I do kind of remember it. But I also can't remember too much. And sure. I think even by this point, when it comes to, I know it's, this isn't the summer, but I was also uh, working away from home for sure. summer jobs, okay. even after, basically, after I was legally old enough to work, I'd work as summer jobs and sure. I'd be staying with a grandparent that didn't have Sky. So Sure. Sure. Whereas I was uh, with someone who had cable uh, and very often it would be weekend at her place. Mm. Um, she didn't give a shit about wrestling. She was off doing something else. But on Sunday morning, you would get the one hour cut down of Raw. Yeah. I'd like called something like, I don't Live know, Afterburn or... Afterburn, uh, I don't know. They all, they all have these sort of like generic names that play well around the world. And then you would get, it would be censored, but you would get the full two hours of SmackDown afterwards. Mm. Um, and I would watch that every week. Yeah, I didn't watch it regularly, but I do remember watching mm. like some daytime SmackDowns. Yeah. And like, all of that was essentially, I mean, if you had basic cable slash satellite, you got that because that was on Sky One. Like there yeah. was no need to subscribe. If you wanted to watch, the, the, the deal was if you wanted to watch Raw, all of Raw, you had to have Sky Sports, but mm. SmackDown was just on free TV and they did the cut down of Raw. And for me, as SmackDown was the wrestling show, the better show, perfect. Yeah. So, 
Where do we get to? Oh, yeah, the people are working over the wrong body parts. Uh, Angle, Angle batters Benoit on the mat in the corner until Be- Benoit can fire up with a load of chops. This must have been where I noticed the, the lightning fork in his mm. arm uh, and a hard lariat to the back of the head. Yeah. We are less than five minutes in and all the moisture is gone from Benoit's hair, so it gets all silly and fluffy. I know the cane frizz is the stuff of legend, but mm. my favourite was always when CM Punk would have his slicked back hairdo and by the end of the match, only one side would have popped up, so he looked like a newly hatched chick. <laughs> oh. I hope that comes... Oh, we've got a slick back hair uh, punk match to come. I hope it comes up in that. Uh, there is... Oh, Jesus, there is a horribly prescient line from Cole, and this is what I think was being fed to him by Jim Ross. Yeah. He's trying to put over Benoit's dedication and determination, and he says he sacrificed his family, he sacrificed his own life. Yeah, that Ooh. was just uh, horrible, horrible, horrible. horrible. In, in less horrible, but more made me do a double take. There was a Taz line, which was back in the day, these two were tag team, former tag team champions. And it's like, okay, that's good. That's good <laughs> that w, uh, WWF are recognizing previous times line. Mm-hmm. Turned out back in the day was two months before this match. Yes. It, yes. I've never heard someone use back in the day. <laughs> To determine to determine something that was less than three months ago, it's just yes. What the 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 tag title they held together uh, came into an existence in October two thousand and two. Yeah. Um, Angle gets his neck snapped over the top rope and a DDT on the apron, and the reverse angle shows him turn as he goes down, so he takes this on the side of his face. And that was not a spot you saw a lot in WWE. Apron spots is like, wait, really? You kind of take them for granted now, mm. but no, like 20 years ago, they, they weren't all that common. I, I mean, these days it was kind of the, the Noah led to it and then eventually yeah. they got popularized, popularized, popularized in places like New Japan mm. and probably US Indies because, of course, mm. most US Indies took stuff from Japan. Yeah. Uh, Benoit misses a top rope headbutt, but he slips out of an angle slam and gets the sharpshooter. Kurt makes the ropes but gets back suplex for a two count. Uh, he manages to come back with a high-velocity belly-to-belly throw and the director picks the worst camera angle and the worst time to cut to not showing Benoit getting dropped on the barrier wall outside. The speed on that belly-to-belly mm. was ridiculous. And there's yeah. there's a couple of moves in this match where the mm. timing and the, like, Almost zero setup time for like spots like this mm. and one that I'll mention later. Yes. Uh, so Kurt is now on top. He uses a short arm clothesline and a chin lock. Thankfully, he adds a body scissors to elevate it above a Randy Orton special. Uh, Benoit escapes but gets hurled across the ring with an overhead belly to belly and planted with a back suplex before we use the return half of our ticket to Chinlock Town. The back suplexes in this match, very different, but also mm. in terms of execution, but also just really good. And also, they just—I mean, this one was—it was high, it was crisp, but also mm. it was a—it was a play, pleasing visual of that flat back version, rather yeah. than say a backdrop driver, where, which is all about how can I not avoid landing on my head? Yeah, Angle seemed to deliver his back suplexes like he was forgetting he wasn't doing the angle slam. Yeah, I get that. Because he would get, he would like for for that and for these, he would go all the way up onto the tips of his toes mm. and like swing Benoit around to get a good like flat back bump out of mm. it. 
Um, so when Benoit gets out of the chin lock, uh, there's a double down clothesline collision that frankly sounds like two stakes being slapped together. And we get a, we get to nine on the downer meter. WWE referees using down counts is always weird because the knockout is used so rarely in that company. Mm. Uh, back up, they trade fists, and Mike Kyoda does his version of Brian Hebner's open up them fist dance we talked about in the Angle Michaels match. Yeah. Um, it's funny. So at the beginning, when when Team Angle get chucked out, um, like a whole bunch of referees come down, and Brian Hebner's one of them. And I hadn't clocked who was the actual ref. And my thought was, oh, man, I hope it's Brian Hebner so we get the dance again. And then it turned out to be Mike Kyoda, and he did the dance. I, ju- I just don't notice these details, and I bloody well should. I I notice other things. <laughs> I can't help it. I can't help it. Uh, as Cole get, uh, talks about Benoit beating Big Show to become number one contender, because remember, you always have to beat someone much bigger than yourself to get a title shot in WWE. Benoit rattles off a couple of clotheslines and strings together two German suplexes. Kurt breaks the grip and gets off one of his own before Benoit rever- reverses and hits one more. Um, it, if people don't know, both of these guys used the locomotion German suplex as a like that was their crossover move. <laughs> Uh, Benoit was famous for, in 2001, uh, doing 10 to a completely broken Steve Austin uh, in the main event of an episode of Raw, I do believe. I have no clue how Angle agreed to do that. Not Angle, how Austin agreed to do that. Uh, apparently it was his idea. So really? legend goes. With his yeah. neck in that state? Yeah, he, so he was sort of determined that he could still have good matches and wasn't just like... He wasn't just doing punch kick with The Rock. He mm. could, you know, go in with Benoit, find a bit of the old stunning Steve and, you know, have a have a wrestling match with a wrestler. But you can do that without taking 10 bumps on that neck. Well. Well, supposedly Austin didn't think so. I don't know what to tell you, buddy. It's wrestler mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Benoit sig- signals for the headbutt and finally the crowd perk up. They haven't been quiet, but they haven't been hot either. They've just sort of been like a, a like a steady buzz and murmur throughout. Mm. Like I don't recall them actually popping for anything until this point. And we're like 12 minutes in, 10, 12 minutes in. There is a quite frankly disgusting snot rocket at this point. It is horrible. Yes, I call it the biggest, grossest snot rocket all over Angle. Um, after the, the coming sequence, you can actually see a bit dripping off Angle's face, which oh. is horrible. Don't do this. It's horrible. Mm. So, uh, Benoit's on the top rope. Kurt sprints up the buckles and, frankly, orbits the guy with an overhead throw. And if you look, he's probably set for maybe one second, maybe two seconds max. It's just quick up, launch, down. It's it's impressive. It really is impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he kicks out, though. Uh, he escapes an angle slam and turns the follow-up clothesline into the crossface. He turns it round into the... when it look, I think so Kurt's looking like he's getting the ropes and Benoit rolls round so he's got Kurt's own ankle lock on him and does one of my pet peeves in pro wrestling. He drags an opponent who is holding the ropes back to the centre of yeah. the ring in a submission. And the ref doesn't break it. If they are holding the ropes... You break the hold. They don't have to break contact with the ropes. This is my Alan Partridge stop getting ropes wrong outburst of the week. Yeah, I believe I did this last week for the Stan Hansen and Andre match, didn't I? Yeah, it was the not releasing. Although it was different, it was more the 
No, it was basically the same scenario. So yeah, it's... it was slightly different in that Hansen was holding the ropes before um, Andre put the hold on. Whereas yeah. here, um, Benoit has a hold on. Um, Kurt gets the ropes. Benoit transitions into a different hold while Kurt still has the ropes yep. and pulls him out. I also used to hate it when Sting would have people in the Scorpion Deathlock. They would reach the ropes and he would just pull and walk forward and pulling them out of the ropes and get a submission. That's not how rope breaks work. Yeah. Don't get me started on chain tags in AEW. Good God. Right. So Angle counters into his own ankle lock, which Benoit re-counters into the crossface, and now the crowd are really into it. For me, it's like this counters and these sequences around the the submission holds. This is the key strength of the match, and this is almost Mm. the unique selling point of this match in the WWF, as it were, in the WWE, because Mm. I think it's very different to most things that have ever come before it. And I don't know how many matches after use the story of these submit two dueling submissions as well as this match does. I loved Angle's little ankle trip to get out of the ankle hole because, of course, he knows where the weak point is in yeah. the submission. My favourite part of this whole sequence, though, is the end of it, where Kurt finishes it with a counter I don't think I've ever seen in any other match. Yeah, He's in the crossface and he scoots his legs around to take Benoit's free leg and rolls him back into a banana split cradle. Taz is very excited by this. Yeah, it's it's really nice. And mm. two crossfaces so far, one escaped with a rope break, one escaped with, uh, with basically a leg splitter style mm. pin. Yeah. Well, you're going to like how he escapes the next one. Um, Benoit gets it on, but on the other side, and Kurt musters the strength to roll all the way through and pop up into an angle slam. Yeah. And he goes from one knee to fully upright with a grown man on his shoulders at lightning speed. The thing that I forgot is how quick Kurt Angle was at this time because he is so, so fast and so crisp at his execution. I have mentioned before that the basic way to boil it down is I don't think Kurt Angle is a good professional wrestler. I think he's a good WWE-style performer. But this match is where he is really showing how good he is Mm. at working that style. And I don't mean the physical mechanics of it. I mean the, the psychology and... I mean, it's almost like... a. It's almost like a big bomb style. Yeah. Like that's kind of what, what Angle was really, really good at. And I think what I think I mentioned, I can't remember what show it was I mentioned it on. Like when he signed with TNA, it wasn't, oh, great. Now Angle gets to be a wrestler outside of TNA. He was having horrendous drug problems. And it was like, oh, boy, TNA does not have a wellness policy and doesn't care about him. Yeah. And I don't think with. A couple of exceptions, I don't think he ever really had matches as good outside of WWE as he did inside WWE. And for the most part, he was still WWE Kurt Angle outside of that system because that's what he knew. Yeah. It's and- not, he, he had only been, like, before he got to WW, WWF, um, he'd only been through Memphis. Yeah. He, so He's a guy, he was a... A lot of people saw him as one of those gets it really quickly prodigies, but mm. that was in that system. And mm. 
it kind of shows where that kind of wrestler 10 years earlier would have been more rounded because he would have been working lots of different territories. The funny thing is, I saw something recently, like a, like a, a newspaper snippet that came up on Twitter. And I think it was from 1993. Mm-hmm. And it was a snippet from an interview with Kurt Angle where he talks about his, he turned down an approach from the World Wrestling Federation. In 93? In 93, so before he'd even gone to the Olympics. Yeah. And then I know there was the, the, the ECW moment where he went to the ECW show and they were going to do something with him. And that was the same show as the uh, Raven crucified Sandman. And Kurt Angle was like, if my face and name appear anywhere on that television episode, I'm suing you out of existence. No, I am not coming to work for you, Mr. Heyman. Kurt Angle in the WWF in like the, the early to mid 90s. What gimmick would he have got? Maths teacher? Yeah, right? <laughs> he would have been Dean Douglas. <laughs> so we've got we've got way off track here. Um, I need to mention they do a perfect 2.99 kick out. Like the timing, mm. and especially what I really noticed was the referee's cadence. Like he was he counted that like it was going to be a three. Mm. And if Benoit had not have got his shoulder up, that's the end of the match. And everybody in the building bought it as well. It mm. was, as much as I do not want to praise Chris Benoit in any way, like it was the perfect kick out. Just incredible. Not him. Um, so Angle gets the ankle lock again, but Benoit flings him face first into the middle turnbuckle. Uh, Kurt elbows his way out of a waist lock low and tries for another German, but Benoit flips through with a snap Casadora for another close near fall. Mm. Again, this is something else I noticed second time watching. Kurt Angle also takes this on the side of his face because he can't quite flip through properly. Yeah. <laughs> German, shouts Angle. Give me one. And wouldn't you know it, Benoit ducks a clothesline and hits a German suplex. <laughs> this is me realizing that I'm pointing out a lot of my weaknesses as a wrestling viewer is that I really struggle to hear any spot calling, mostly because I don't li- listen to stuff that loud. And also my ears still not right. Uh, I don't either, but um, I, I mean, it should be pointed out, it's kind of my job yeah. to notice details in audio and video. And very often when there is spot calling, I can hear that it's happening, but I, I struggle to hear what the actual words are. Oh, okay. This, however, Kurt was John Cena here tonight. He then goes, now mine, and they switch places, and yeah, he flings Benoit, and then he yells, big one! So they switch again, and Angle takes the last one by flipping over onto his stomach. (laughs) The slow-motion replay shows that they came within millimetres of smashing their heads together when Kurt comes down. If you watch, the top of his head passes through Benoit's head just before he hits the mat. They came so close. Now, usually... He flew three quarters of the way across the ring. Is hyperbole in wrestling. It's exaggeration. Not here. Chris Benoit flies three quarters of the way across the ring to hit the diving headbutt to the back of Kurt Angle's head. Uh, Kurt kicks out. He fights off the crossface again and alley-oops Benoit into the top turnbuckle. So the spectre of the big show is all over this feud. (laughs) Uh, angle slam again but again Benoit kicks out and the crowd go crazy Uh, at this point Taz claims this is not only the best match he's ever seen but better than any he was even in I I would argue that the the number of great matches that Taz has seen should be higher than the number of great matches (laughs) that Taz has had (laughs) 
just by virtue of owning a DVD player. Um, Benoit gets the crossface one more time, but Angle manages to roll it into the ankle lock again. And Benoit fights it and fights it and even manages to kick Kurt off, but Angle is able to grab it again quickly and hold on tight through Benoit's other attempts. And eventually he drops it into the scissors leg version. And atypically, they are both face up on the mat when Benoit taps out. Um, What would you like to say about this match? First thing is, not sure if you noticed it, because this is the kind of thing that I can notice about mm-hmm. watching wrestling. The story of the match at its crux is this. Benoit lost the match because when it mattered, he could only think of one counter for the ankle lock mm-hmm. and Angle was prepared for it by the end of the match. Every time Angle escaped the crossface, it was a different counter. It was a different way out. I so, noticed the second half, but not the first. <laughs> to me, it was like uh, almost every time Benoit was trying to get out, he's doing a front roll. Mm, he's okay. always trying to like roll out of it. He's not mm. trying to grab uh, grab an ankle. He's not trying to do the the Zack Sabre uh, popularized British, you know, use your leg to bring down your other leg and get into mm-hmm. a headlock. Yeah, yeah. It's it just struck me on my second viewing. It's like this feels like the same counter and the same strategy, and it was this yeah. sense of it's the kind of thing that I think. 80%, 90% of viewers probably wouldn't notice. No, like I say, I, I did. So I noticed that every time Kurt reversed the crossface into the ankle lock, he did it a different way. But I didn't notice that Benoit only had one way out of the ankle lock. Yeah. And for me, it's like I, I'm maybe a little bit more comfortable praising this match. Uh, as I said, I haven't watched much Benoit, mm. but I feel in many ways like I'm a, a natural born hypocrite. So. Uh, I just find it a little bit easier to be hypocritical of these elements. It's like, this is a match that has great execution. Mm. These two have great chemistry together in terms of they know, I think, I personally think they probably are the best at getting the most out of each other. Maybe not Benoit's character side, but in terms of the technical, I think... Mm they do the best at getting the best out of each other. And for me, the the bit that stood out more than anything else, I can't think of a WWE match with a finishing stretch like this that is so submission and counter-based. And yet, despite it being not the done thing, Mm. the crowd is into it. I was thinking about it. WWE finishers, especially around this time, they're all two sets. Two-step moves, you know, mm. choke slam, grab the throat, lift him up, rock bottom, um, duck under the arm, lift him up, pedigree, hook the arms. Then I lift. really wish this was a video show so everybody could see Mark miming all of these moves as he's going through them. Please carry on. <laughs> I mean, the angle slam is sort of head under, then do the turn, and then the stunner yeah. is kick stunner. So the crowd is kind of. They get primed before the actual move happens, yeah. Whereas here, there's no, because of the way the ankle lock and the crossface work, and because the angle slam is being used as a counter often, Mm. there's no setup. So it just feels a little bit more sudden. And I don't know, it just just really worked for me in terms of 
it was different and it felt like it was something different to what that audience was used to. But by the end, they were hooked. Yeah, I think it took them a long time to get into it. It did. And like they weren't, the, I, I didn't, I haven't seen any of the rest of the card. Uh, I mean, when I did this rewatch, I didn't watch any of the rest of the, of the show. Um, although uh, I do seem to recall, uh, yep, just checking there. They had just sat through 17 minutes of the legendarily awful Scott Steiner Triple H match. I wondered, was it that? Steiner Triple H match. Yeah, yeah. The the time when Trips decided, well, he he had decided either he could get a great match out of Scott Steiner still, who like basically had a completely fucked leg, mm-hmm. um, and was Scott Steiner, um, or decided he was going to expose him and embarrass him. I cannot remember which one it was, but it was uh, one of those or a combination of the two. Um. Yeah, so uh, I think things to like about it inc- include, like as you said, all, like all that execution and like their chemistry, um, the snap intensity and purpose with it, with it, with which everything is executed mm. is something to behold. Um, I also like that even though he was the heel, Kurt never once cheated; he just fought harder. Yeah, the closest thing he did to cheating was he took a shortcut sucker punch so he could throw Benoit's shoulder into the post to get his first advantage. Hmm. Um, he never went to the eyes. There was no low blows. There were no weapons. Like, he was just... He he was a, a, the heel by being more aggressive than the aggressive babyface. And if anything, Benoit did the more heelish act, which was the rope, the, the, the neck hang on the ropes. Yeah. I do, however, think this match is overrated. And... Not just in 2023. I remember thinking this at the time. To me, it's a bit of a video game match. It is spamming the moves you can remember on the controller. Uh, Now, I can get why that is uh, a criticism. Hmm. I, I think the personally, I think the way that they did it in this match made it better than in other matches they would have. Because I think, for me, the story of this match is not what they do. It's how they do it and how they get out of it. But I get okay. I get your point. But they're because they're using the they're using the Germans as the the through line. There is mm. a case of the bombs are thrown out a little bit. And I get your point with the video game. It's like the suplexes. It feels yeah, like... like it's yeah, it's always the back suplex or always the German suplex or going back to the crossface and going back to the ankle lock and, oh, if you press the special combination of buttons, you can do your opponent's submission instead of your own, you know? And I get that. And, and really, it's like, I think we've both said this match gets into gear when it gets into what I think of as the submissions finishing stretch. And I think that's the strength of the match. And it's like, yes... Because it's like uh, I did. I did actually do a count on the moves. We've got five Benoit Germans, two Angle Germans, two Angle Slams, mm. three attempts at the the headbutt, four Ankle Locks, five Cross Faces. So yeah, yeah. it is yeah. very much a. It's that style of match where you wrestlers are doing the same moves, and and this often did seem to become a thing. It's like. I remember mm. Rock versus Austin from Mania 17. That was very much 
the the prototypical you've got lots of moves attempted yeah i think that was probably for me the most famous uh both shoulder buttons you can do your opponent's finish match yeah yeah and we've got that to come by the way yeah so it was a thing that WWE did. It, yeah. I, I think the execution here and that finishing stretch just feeling so different to uh, so much wrestling that I've seen past and recently mm. stands out. But I also think that you have a valid criticism. Um, just on the submission finishes thing, uh, this was very much a Heymanism at this point. Everybody was getting multiple finishing moves. So there was more uncertainty over how the matches were going to end. So this is the point where Edge ends up with all his various different moves that are a terrible pun on the word Edge. The educator, the edgematic. Yeah. Yes, yes, all of that stuff. Um, so everybody had, I mean, it, I guess he'd probably been playing, uh, I don't know, um, Revenge on the N64, where everybody has a front grapple finisher, everybody mm. has a back grapple finisher, yeah. a top rope finisher, a submission finish, you know? Yeah. Um, so... It, yeah, it, it was to uh, it was to aid the uncertainty and kind of get away a bit from like finisher progress, mm. uh, which is why. Yeah, it's back to the days where people got pins off signatures and not just off their one move. Yeah, and keeps the crowd on their toes. And I do, I do appreciate that. It's like mm. some of my favorite wrestlers, like mm. Brian Danielson. Shinya Hashimoto, uh, back when I preferred the style of Zack Sabre Jr., the strengths of those guys were you did not know how the match was going to finish. Yes. Um, so we kind of got away from it a bit. Um, although I think it, it, it has been overrated, I do think it's a good match. But it is just that to me. It's a good match. Whatever it does for other people, it has never done for me. Yeah, um, I get that. Uh I don't think it's great. I don't think it's must-see. I think it's good. So it is a 9.46 on cage match. Meltzer gave it 4.75, but I kind of felt that was a bit of a knee-jerk after having to sit through Triple H versus Scott Steiner that he gave one stop to immediately before. But most importantly of all, on commentary, Taz gave it five stars. <laughs> I'm surprised that he was invited back to do his job after that. Surely that would have been a firing for Vince. <laughs> you don't mention Meltzer. Um, so uh, Kurt Angle came second in Wrestler of the Year in the Observer Awards for 2003. Uh, he was also the most outstanding wrestler of the year with Benoit finishing third. And this match finished second only behind uh, Kenta Kabashi versus Mitsuhara Misawa from the March the 1st Noah show, which is another match we will be covering later on in the run of this podcast. Anything else? Or are we all done? I I think we're all done. I haven't said my opinion on whether this is must-see. Oh, no, sorry. Probably should ask you that, really. I, do you think this is a must-see match? I kind of feel I'm okay watching Benoit. I'm kind of a little not comfortable recommending a match with Chris Benoit. I know it's been 16 sure. odd years. If this was a wrestler other than Chris Benoit, considering the context of like the style, because I, mm -hmm. I just think for me, it's wild that this happened in WWE because it just feels so antithetical. I think 
this is where I think it's overrated. I don't think this is um, antithetical to the start of WWE because stuff like this was happening on SmackDown every week. For me, it's it's more the the, the details of the submission. Right, this isn't their only one-on-one match of the month. Yeah, I'll get that. Bear in mind, I haven't seen any SmackDown 6 for easily a decade, probably pretty closer to two. No, me, me neither. But I guess I just kind of have like fond memories of that period of, you know, the wrestling company actually doing wrestling matches on the wrestling show. <laughs> I can very much see how this is polarizing, but I can also mm. see how for an audience that grew up on WWF wrestling and mm. grew up on US wrestling and probably at this stage in their viewing hadn't seen like hadn't seen UWFI, hadn't seen shoot style, hadn't seen yeah. grappling heavy promotions. I can kind of see how the finish and the submission based focus and those counters and the the story there, I can hundred percent see why that would stick out in people's memories and why that would make it must see to them. I can also see your criticism, but I think this is a case where we're focusing on slightly different aspects of it. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Do you think we can settle on here? Um, this might be must-see depending on your tolerance of Benoit. Yes. Okay. I, I would I would say if you're tolerant of Benoit, it is definitely one that would be worth going back and watching. So there we go. That's the, 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 the end of Benoit and the end of Kurt Angle on... Uh, on musty matches we have no guests to thank uh totally didn't mention at the beginning we were going solo but i think people uh, i think people it's really, obvious at this point <laughs> yeah people, people have figured it out <laughs> unless i've been really sneaky and edited someone out i haven't we decided we we, we were always going to do benoit matches just the two of us like there's no we shouldn't inflict these on anybody else so uh, you can go to linktr.ee slash matches for all the ways to subscribe, links to the full list of nominations, and a whole load more. We are at Matches on Twitter, Instagram, Mastodon, Threads, and Blue Sky. We also have a Discord. Uh, hit bit.ly slash matches Discord and come and have a chat. I have been very happy to see uh, chats going on on there over the past week or so. So we, we, we invite people to... Uh, um, Send us comments about the match we're going to be covering. We we ask people, uh, we we don't ask them. We we have a forum for people to talk about matches that we covered on past episodes, and uh, we we can. There's also you know talk free about other about bits other if you fancy. Well. Yeah, and all of those all of those channels have been uh, have been a popping. What else? Oh yeah, uh, on the Dead Bird app, I am at Kieran Edits, and Mark is at Monkey underscore Buckles. And next week. Grapple Gareth returns to help us finish the trilogy we've covered in the wrong order. Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat from Clash of the Champions 6 on April 2nd, 1989. Because everyone knows the sensible way to finish a trilogy is with the middle one. Exactly. Correct. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.